Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. I'm Carlos Pacheco. And I'm Tom Martin. <laughs> Hello, Tom Martin. <laughs> we are YouTube veterans, but more from behind the scenes. We're not, uh, well, I would say Tom's more in front of the scenes than me, but we've managed many, many YouTube channels, many millions and billions of views over the years. But Tom's turning into his own YouTube star at this point. Well, I don't really make YouTube videos anymore, mm-hmm. um, no. which we still haven't really spoken about in much detail. So maybe for another episode, we'll we'll talk more about why we're more behind the scenes than in front of camera. But um, it's because we uh, we just we're just not good looking enough. Well, I don't know. I think you're pretty hot, Carlos. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm definitely. I definitely don't have the hair for, to be a YouTuber. So yeah, exactly. And considering we we wake up, we well for me, we uh, record early in the morning. My hair is uh, bedhead at this point. <laughs> Just a little uh, peek behind the kimono it, it, of exactly. video insiders, and um, luckily this is not a video podcast because. Um, Carlos is actually wearing a kimono as well <laughs> at this time. So, nice. All right. So, before we get started on what we want to talk about, we want to thank our uh, lovely sponsor, TubeBuddy, who, which is the ultimate tool, browser extension, and app for video managers, uh, YouTube channel managers, and creators. Tom, and if you for some reason i'm not yet using TubeBuddy. one you're crazy but two you need to be you needn't be crazy anymore because if you visit www.videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy, you can get an exclusive discount uh which is super useful especially if you're running more than one channel awesome i've actually been uh really it's been really fun to see TubeBuddy's evolution into the new youtube studio beta uh, it seems like every day there's a new sort of like feature that gets like updated and it's starting to look better and better every day. Yeah, that must just be like development yeah. hell for Phil and his team. And a big shout out to Phil, um, who we spoke to on our previous episode, uh, which you can find at videoinsiders.fm or on the podcatcher of your Awesome. Let's get to the subject at hand, which is a a video by Derek Alexander Muller, more known as Veritasium. I've been a huge fan of Derek for a long time. He released a video just early this week called My Video Went Viral, Here's Why. And it caused uh, Tom to have some emotional reactions to it. It's 23 minutes long. It's it's almost like it's a presentation more than anything else. Before you get into it, Tom, I'm going to say my big beef with this video is why do you need a two-camera angle? (laughs) Oh, please don't. That's not what triggered me, but that is like such a common piece of advice that I give to so many youtube channels is that you just seriously do not need a side camera i I never understood why people like i mean again i love derek's video but for some reason in this video he decided to have like a two camera like split thing and i'm like i never understand you know looking at the left while the you know 
the, you know, while you're trying to talk yeah. to an audience. But the, anyways, I'll let you get into the, the issue at hand. Talk to me about this video. So like you, I'm a big fan of Derek's. Uh, I've actually worked on a channel that collaborated with Ver- Veritasium back in the day. Uh, and I use some of his videos as like great case studies um, for how to do YouTube well in a lot of my presentations and stuff. So this video, I kind of loved it and hated it at the same time. I think there's probably a certain amount of bitterness in me (laughs) in why it triggered such an emotional response because the video in itself went viral and got, when I watched it, it was, I think, 24 hours old and had 1.8 million views. So I agreed with a lot of what Derek said, disagreed quite a bit of, of what he said and just felt that there was some missing context in between that I think a lot of viewers would maybe take as gospel but without a bit more context doesn't necessarily make sense so as this video is causing such an uproar many of you already have not seen it if you haven't seen it uh just go and search veritasium on youtube and it will be one of his latest videos if you listen to this anytime soon if not search for veritasium viral video and that should help you see it so what we're going to do is because when I was watching this, I was taking extensive notes because I knew that me and you would talk about this at some stage. I wasn't sure whether it'd be a full episode, but by the time I got to the end of the video, I was messaging Carlos and saying, this has to be an episode because I've got lots to say on this video. So we're going to basically break it down point by point. I think I might even be LinkedIn connections with Derek. So maybe we'll get him to listen to it and see if we can get some of his reactions to that. Um, I could be totally wrong. (laughs) I could be totally wrong. But anyway, so he kicks off the video. I just want to touch on it very quickly, talking about the kind of epidemic of creator burnout, uh, which we covered in a previous episode with uh, the creator coach, Josh. Um, So please go and check out that episode. Really interesting. Um, so we don't need to touch on that too much. Um, but what he spoke about that was causing this burnout was a couple of things. So first thing that he spoke about was something called the YouTuber life cycle. And this is kind of the, the, a very common story of YouTubers that start out, they're getting growth early on because they're starting from scratch. They're getting really excited. Um, they peak to where they get, you know, they've got their, you know, big, subscriber milestones getting hundreds of thousands of views obviously this isn't the story of every youtuber more like the story of kind of traditional successful youtubers Um, and then there starts to be a kind of slow decline as they start to age and their impact becomes less and less and it makes perfect sense you know he talks about the disappointment of a of a youtube creator going from kind of heady success and constant growth to like a plateau uh, and a decline and and he made a he he used a really good term which was like anchoring you know so they've got an expectation of success which is anchored in their mind and that that kind of no longer happens and that that totally makes sense uh, one thing that I think he didn't really touch upon on, in this point, and he spoke about a number of science channels that I'm very familiar with. Again, with I've collaborated with a number of these channels in the past. Is a lot of these channels are like at least seven to ten years old, and what he's not given any credit for here is that the audience just grow, grows up. You know, a lot of these people would have started to follow Derek and his counterparts when they were either teenagers, young teenagers, older teenagers, 
And after seven years, there's not going to be that many people that are still sticking around. And then by the time that, you know, new, new audiences have come upon the, the platform, there's a lot more competition. So uh, I'm not saying that he's, he's got anything wrong, but I just saying, I think that's a bit of uh, an angle that he, he didn't quite, uh, didn't quite cover. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Like it, it, again, like his his points are totally valid, but I'd fe- I feel like it, it's almost actually oversimplified. There's the fact that uh, you know in 2014, I would say 2012 to 2016, when all these channels were peaking, and actually recreated the Google Trends chart that he did, and it's exactly what what he showed. You know, like the YouTube wasn't as, you know, didn't have 2 billion users, didn't have as many YouTubers. And, you know, as soon as a, a YouTuber becomes hot, uh, a specific subject becomes like super popular and somebody finds the formula or sort of the format, they get copied, right? And big companies start coming in and saying, oh, we can make science videos, right? So that that highly affects YouTubers and and sort of takes away their their momentum yeah and i i don't see that that's anyone's fault no it's just it comes with you know in any area of life whether you're a celebrity or a sportsman or whatever it may be you know there's seasons you know the famous say 15 minutes of fame and i'm not saying it's anything like that but you know no one can no one can kind of live forever at the top of the YouTube charts. And if you think about a lot of the people that were dominant when I first joined the platform, I don't know if any of those guys are still even creators, but they're certainly not, you know, the headliners that you, that you see today. Yeah. And, and the thing is, one, one of the things you got to realize is that it happens in all medias, right? Like, you know, yeah. when, it, when a, a TV show becomes a hit, people start copying it. And 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 doing the same type of formats, same type same type of stories, you know that we just ended Game of Thrones, and you know Amazon's doing Lord of the Rings. They wouldn't have done Lord of the Rings series if Game of Thrones would would have wouldn't have been a hit. So yeah. Yeah, the, every and then in the world of of um, reality television, which is much more similar to to the YouTuber side of things. It's incredible how, you know, TV networks and producers just copy the formats that, you know, get success and just say, oh, we'll, we'll do the same thing with a different twist. And, and end up, some of them end up being hits and taking the, the power or the, the popularity away from the one that inspired them. So it happens to everybody. Yeah. And then um, Derek goes on to talk about the audience and the algorithm and the creator and how they kind of start to chase each other and they also become kind of go on to become one where it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy of one video does well, the algorithm promotes it. So then everyone makes similar kinds of videos and that becomes the new norm. Again, really we're just talking here about what's been the case from the the dawn of YouTube, which is something, something hits and then multiple people just jump on the bandwagon. So nothing really new there. Um, what I did really like about this part and something that um, I actually disagreed with here is I've pulled up the the diagram and this appears about the eight and a half minute mark in the video. And what Derek talks about is something called the expert checklist, uh, which was 
brought together by some Nobel Prize winner. And it said that it basically takes three factors to become an expert in anything. And that's hours of practice. Um, of course, you know, you often hear about the 10,000 hour rule, timely feedback, which you can get from viewers and from YouTube analytics. But what he says is that it's impossible to become an expert on YouTube because it it changes so much and doesn't provide a reliable environment. And he says, kind of quote, it's impossible to be an expert on YouTube. And I totally, totally, totally disagree with that. And I think it's paramount is what he's saying is that YouTube doesn't provide a reliable environment. And so that is why the the kind of methods that I teach and methods that I use is to create a reliable environment by doing keyword research, what I've spoken about before in previous episodes, but producing consistent metadata across all of your videos. So you just hit YouTube over the head by saying, I am an expert in this subject because I've made 300 videos all on the same very, very, very close subject. And my metadata across that catalog of 300 videos are very very similar and then so youtube has no choice but to recognize you as the expert in that field so uh, i really kind of took not offense but uh, definitely disagreed with this point of derek saying that there's no way to be an expert on youtube and you, you know there's evidence of that because you know if you want to learn how to do youtube stuff you will find Daryl Eves and Nick Nimin and Tim Schmoyer. You know, if you want to find how to take better pictures, you will find Pete McKinnon and other people. If you want to know how to edit better, you will find, you know, Premier Gal and other people like that because there are channels that do lend themselves to being subject matter experts. And it's the type of client that I work with really closely is like a, a thought leader and a, a subject matter expert. So this is something that I really uh, kind of disagree with. So it'd be good to get your opinion on that, Carlos. Well, I, I think I think subject matter experts are the real sort of like uh, rock stars in this space, right? One of the biggest uh, sort of ap- I won't I won't call it adpocalypse, but apocalypse. When I, I would say influencer apocalypse, that I feel is going to happen is this. Thing with influencers is is people becoming influencers just to influence you know who i'm talking about just a person that doesn't really sort of give any value and is just uh doing their just trying to get popular and those are the ones that are going to sort of like taper off or people are just not going to want to the brands don't want to de- you know sponsor these people the people that have the long tail and you know the opportunity to really just build their reputation as people is subject matter experts and the thing is subject matter experts are good at their thing sometimes they're not as good as learning the youtube ecosystem and what really works on youtube and they just look at the surface stuff and then you know like as you said like when i'm looking at veritasium's video i'm looking at oh He's he's hardly using the tags. <laughs> he put he put like a dozen tags on his videos. So like he's obviously you know like he, he, a couple of them are ranking well, but you know he's put a few that are sort of like so generic that are, are sort of like wow that that won't work in the long run. But 
you know, at the end of the day, I think that point was sort of like, it, it flew a little bit over my head. So I don't have a strong opinion on it, but I do think that people who have a, a, you know, who are experts on a field need to just focus on their expertise as opposed to becoming YouTubers or, you know, like focusing so much on YouTube and then you end up taking away from your knowledge and not focusing on, on the stuff that made you popular in the first place or, you know, the expertise that makes, makes you people listen to you in the first place. So you sort of need to play a balance of like still learning, still doing what you're doing and then using that knowledge to, to bring to the platform. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you're much more uh, hot under the collar for this one. Yeah. Uh, he then goes on to, he brings it back to um, create a burnout and why he brought create a burn up in the first place. And he said that basically creators burn out by chasing the algorithm, trying to figure out what the algorithm is, trying to keep the algorithm happy. This is another point that I disagree on because I don't believe that creators burn out by chasing the algorithm. I feel that they burn out by feeding the algorithm. And that's purely because the algorithm demands that you upload regularly. So I don't think YouTubers are burning out because they're trying to figure out what videos to make. I think they're burning out because they can't take a break. We know this, even though YouTube have come out and said that's not the case. You know, I'd say if you take more than, you know, even a month off is going to have a, a direct effect on mm -hmm. video performance after that break. So, again, we spoke about uh, this on the um, episode with Josh. But, yeah, what do you think about that? What 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 is the the real cause of creative burnout? Well, I mean the 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 real causes of creative burnout is the intense, you know the the the. Here's the thing: looking at data every day and looking at you know, especially when that affects your you know your livelihood, is is stressful, right? And everything needs to needs to work. We went into this ecosystem where oh, we need to upload every day to make it work or to, to keep going or to keep growing. And some YouTubers jumped into that full swing and, and became full, you know, daily vloggers. And some of them were successful for a bit, but you saw them all, most of them just quit, you know, stop, you know, and, and because they realized that, you know, it doesn't really pay off that much in, in the long run. Maybe they got an initial hit, but then it just tapered off pretty quickly. My example, when it comes to YouTubers trying to follow the algorithm my, my easy example is Jenna Marbles. She does not follow anything. She just uploads when she feels like uploading and her, all her videos do extremely well. And they're completely off the cuff and they're not, you know, they're not jumping on any sort of like trend. Maybe once in a while she'll, she'll do something that's sort of trendy, but it's like it's full on her personality and, you know, the way she is and, you know, her talent that brings people back yeah, that's my my thought in terms of that. It's 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 just like people got you know sucked into you know they took things too literally when when YouTube said oh watch time is is important oh uh, upload frequency is important and then they they went all in and obviously got a little bit of a you know got something out of it when they did it but then it quickly it quickly just tapered off for almost everybody. Yeah, totally agree. And then um, Derek goes on to talk about the uh, decreasing significance of subscription. And this is something that I really, really agree with Derek on here, that over time, the importance of a subscriber or more importantly, the value of a subscriber to a channel has definitely gone down. I remember when I kind of was... Uh, 
at the, the early stages of my kind of YouTube career, we had a target to grow our subscribers with the view that you grow subscribers, you grew, you grew views. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think this was correct. You know, this was 2012, 2013 that worked. You grew your subscriber base. They'd be watching those videos, but over time this is decreased. And I think that Derek really explains it here because I've agreed with it for years and I've said, and I've told people for years, but I've never articulated it as, as well as Derek does here. So, uh, Carlos, do you want to explain Derek's theory? And if not, we'll cut this out and I'll just go on and explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, uh, I don't know if I'm going to explain it well. So obviously if uh, you say, but basically at the end of the day, like the, the subscriber uh, number is no longer what really drives people to your videos. Like I'm going to deviate from Derek's point of view, but it, it's also the fact that like it's starting to become these subscriber numbers are starting to become a negative thing. And uh, you were seeing other platforms experiment where they're starting to hide uh, things, right? Instagram, for example, in Canada right now is there's doing a test where uh, you don't see likes anymore. Uh, not yours, but uh, the ones that you know, the the ones no, are following. I don't get, any, uh, I don't get any likes anyway. So <laughs> it works perfectly for but, me. And then, and then, like yesterday, YouTube announced that they're gonna sort of start abbreviating the subscriber yes, numbers, right? Yes. Like now, it just says like you know, you look at, at, at I'm looking at Veritasium, it just says five point six, and it wasn't sort of like consistent across the board, but now it's gonna be consistent across the board, and the only person that's gonna see the real sort of subscriber numbers is going to be Veritasium in his dashboard. And I think I, I sort of suspect that sooner or later, this is the sort of gradual path that YouTube's taken to a day where you no, subscriber numbers are not public. Uh, you know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, a subscriber has become a like, right? It, it's, it's like, it's a suggestion. It's yeah. not a subscription. That's been happening for many, at least something like four years now where, you know, the, the, the subscriber number just means less and less, you know, you see it so obviously in, in, in some older channels that have, you know, the same number of subscribers as, as Veritasium, but only get like a hundred thousand views per videos. So obviously the subscriber is not working. I don't know if I'm jumping to the, 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 the shark here, but like, you know, he focuses on the bell part of the situation at the yeah. end, but that's more at the end. Yeah, well, no, I think everything you say is totally valid. I think what he is, what he was trying to say is that the technical reason for those subscribers being less valuable was that basically the algorithm was so smart in determining what people would want to watch next and what would keep people on the platform that basically they couldn't trust the subscriber that they were subscribing to the right channels. Mm -hmm. So basically YouTube can make better decisions than you can to know what you want to watch. So, you know, you saying you subscribe to a channel, but then you don't watch their videos necessarily when you get served them. So instead they're going to serve you stuff that, you know, they know that you're much more likely to watch. So it was really well articulated how he, he summed that yeah, up. Yeah, and I have to agree. I've, uh, you know, I often go, you know, flip to, between home trending and subscription when I'm on YouTube. Uh, it happens a lot of times that the videos on home are videos that I don't subscribe to and there are channels that I don't subscribe to, but there's like super relevant to past content that I've watched and the type of content that I watch. So they're definitely doing a good job on that side of things. So the next part that Derek goes 
on to talk about is the kind of um, the meat and the potatoes of the video is actually how to go viral and, and why YouTube now um, favors kind of sensationalist um, content. And he went to talk on uh, about uh, the analogy of yellow journalism, which basically says, you know, it's like the old newspaper industry where they needed to sell papers. So they'd put like sensationalist headlines and imagery on the front. So that's why sensational titles and sensational thumbnails do really well. They get clicked, they get watched, which is why the homepage is full of videos like that. And um, when he was talking about this, I was like nodding along. I was like, I can't remember if I said it out loud, but I certainly said it internally. If not, I am known to speak to myself in this tiny little office. Uh, And I said to myself, of course it is, you know, that's why Mr. Beast gets so many views. And he turned over his flip chart and he said, <laughs> so I've been working with Mr. Beast. Yeah. And it was like, okay, cool, it's perfect. You know, this, uh, this video is really speaking to me. Um, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, Mr. Beast is a beast. Um, I've been following his progress for years and years and years. I think the first video that I ever saw of him was something like him reading the entire dictionary or something crazy like that. Uh, and just was fascinated by what he was doing. And, you know, he makes such great titles, uh, such great thumbnails, but he also makes great videos. There's no escaping that. And he's just doing crazy stuff and remarkable stuff. And I think this is kind of overlooked for Mr. Beast is that he's doing stuff that is absolutely remarkable and not stuff you could see every day, which is why people are so fascinated uh, by him. Uh, And I kind of quick quick aside about Mr. Beast, you know, in my time at VidCon and all of these conferences, I'm very rarely kind of like, uh, starstruck or yeah, you know, I don't care about quote unquote YouTubers. You know, I've, you know, I've been in rooms with Casey Neistat and all these big people and they don't really affect me. But, um, at vid summit, I was actually in the queue for something and I turned around and I was, I looked at the, the name badge, Jimmy, didn't recognize the name, but I was thinking to myself, damn, is that Mr. Beast behind me? Turns out it was, but usually if it was someone else, <laughs> I'd just say hello, but I was actually a bit starstruck by Mr. Beast. So little, little aside there, um, yeah. Jimmy, That's if you're hilarious. listening to this, I'll see you at Vid Summit uh, this year. And I, was, I, was, I won't be scared of you. And uh, I'll, be, I'll happily accept any money you're giving away for free. I have to confess, I have yet to really watch anything from Mr. Beast. It's just one of those things where, and I think I fully respect what he's doing. I have no issues with him. It's just one of those things that's like, eh. And 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 this is surface level analysis for me. What I think Mr. Beast has done is he's basically taken what Roman Atwood used to do. What I remember seeing, you know, and because of my relationship with Roman for many years ago, I've sort of always observed how he's evolved from doing amazing pranks to vlogging. One of the interesting things over the years that he started to do crazier and crazier stunts. They weren't, uh, you know, sort of like pranks anymore. They were more like stunts. That's all I see Mr. Beast doing. It's like, it's exactly the same stuff that that, that R- R- Roman used to do. And I think he just, you know, just got tired of it. But um, it's just really interesting to see that, that, you know, that's a format that sort of like evolved from other youtubers and then other uh, youtuber just takes that format and just like yeah. runs with it and you know the fact that he has the resources to do it and the opportunities to do it you know 
for him, I'm, I'm more jealous of the experiences he's getting, <laughs> you know, like, you know, being able to do these awesome things that you would love to do yourself. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Anyways, that's my two cents on when it comes to this piece. Cool. So now I want to get down to the real, real crux of the video, which is Derek's plan or recipe for making a video go viral. So it's a free point plan. The first make great videos. Second, choose topics which are clickable or I would like to say shareable. And third and quote, uh, use clickbaity titles and thumbnails. So I have a number of uh, problems with this plan. Uh, so I'm going to just go on off, off on a little rant uh, for the minute, Carlos, please humor me, but feel free to jump in at Don't any worry. point. So First of all, there are hundreds of thousands of videos, if not millions of videos every day that hit all of those free points that don't go viral. So this gives no credit to the fact that there is some level of serendipity involved here. So you can, you can hit all of these free amazing videos, uh, all of these free main points. But if you just didn't happen to get the right person watching at the same time, that, you know, put it on r slash video on Reddit or embed it, embedded it in an article on Gizmodo or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. this same exact video, you know, an hour later, maybe doesn't go viral. Who knows? Um, and I don't think that's given any credit mm-hmm. here. It makes this sound really easy. It's really not, <laughs> especially considering the amount of competition out there. You know, I think most people know to make great videos, to choose shareable topics and to make clickable thumbnails and titles. So I'm not sure how helpful this advice mm-hmm. is. Uh, my third problem is the, the use of the term clickbaity. So clickbait for me is misleading. You know, you're baiting someone into getting a click, but you don't deliver. And I always tell people, you know, as long as you deliver on the promise, it's not clickbait. So when Daryl, uh, sorry, when Derek makes a video that says, why are there 900,000 black bulls on this reservoir? That's not clickbait because he's talking about what he is mentioning in the title and the thumbnail. So that's not clickbait. So I think that's either just, you know, we just arguing over semantics here or he's giving slightly bad advice because for me, clickbait means you're misleading the audience on purpose, oh like God. those horrible in context article ads you get at the bottom of like news articles where, you know, they're using thumbnails that have got nothing to do well, with those the, are ads. Anyways. Uh, the article, you know, the ones that I always, <laughs> yeah, the ones that I always get tricked by. Uh, <laughs> and no, I'm not telling you which ones I click on a few more things that I kind of take exception to is that this is like really kind of generalist advice, mm-hmm. which assumes that people are making generalist content. You know, if you've got a channel, like a subject matter expert channel that teaches people, you know, orthodontistry, this this advice is not going to work. You know, you need to really come with just like good SEO, how-to content that answers people's questions. This also assumes that people's viewing habits are through the homepage and browse features, which is not always the case, especially for non-generalist audiences. So, you know, for example, if I'm an orthodontic student and I want to look at my orthodontistry channel, 
I'm probably going to go and search or I'm probably going to go direct to a channel that I know. And I'm not necessarily having a, such a passive experience on YouTube. Uh, and I don't think this is taken into account. So this is, this talks about, I think, getting broad success with a broad audience. Obviously, I agree with all of his tips in terms of like making great videos and making them on topics that are important to people and having click-worthy thumbnails and stuff. But that doesn't mean that in every niche you're going to get a, a quote-unquote viral. And what does viral even mean to to different niches? So yeah. I feel like I've just had a good therapy session and got that all over my chest. So <laughs> I absolutely think you're right when it comes to like calling it clickbait. Clickbait is a bad it is a bad name, right? And you know, clickworthy, you specifically said clickworthy is 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 a better name because you know you click and you get what you're expecting. You know, like a, that's always been YouTube's uh instructions and and you know on how to make a good thumbnail, right? And you know, that, that's, again, as you said, it's semantics. But one of the things that worried me a little bit and is the the whole, you know, <laughs> it, 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 to me, I'm getting like, you know, advertising industry flashbacks or PTSD at this, at this point when everybody's starting to talk about click-through ratios. I'm like, really? This is what we're back to? And like click-through ratios is a thing from advertising for, for the past 20 years. And now it's a thing on YouTube you know, that type of metric is a very sort of like, I don't know, I just don't consider it to be, I've never considered it to be a good metric. Yeah, it's a good metric for an ad, you know, and we're trying to bring it into the creator landscape and it's, 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 it's there. But uh, one of the things that, that worries me a little bit is the, you know, the fact that we're getting into a space where there's going to be real time click through ratio uh, results, meaning that, we're going to come to a point, and this is me, my imagination, what I suspect. We're going to come to a point where a, YouTube's, a YouTuber is going to go live, and within minutes, they're going to say, oh, my thumbnail is not doing well. I'm going to switch it. And, uh, and then they're going to switch the thumbnail and then, you know, or delete the video or whatever. We passed. And, I, and think, to, I think you're correct to a point, but yeah. I think we're already past that point. There are YouTubers, yeah. there are YouTubers that are already doing that, definitely. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I think that's that's a bad a bad way of 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 handling the ecosystem, and, and it's sort of like it turns YouTube into Instagram, which to me is is a cesspool uh, of of crap. Even though I'm still addicted to it, like I, you know, I, I use it very spar- sparingly, and I almost I deleted it. And there's tangent right here. I deleted it a couple of weeks ago, and then damn it, took it back. I'm in advertising, so I can't take it off. I can't stop this stuff but anyways that to me was sort of like oh man i can't believe they're they're turning you know that that ecosystem and all these sort of like you know bad type of uh, you know like incentives to creators because it just puts you on the same level as an advertiser and i just think that's that's crap i think good content is good content and you know you need to do the work to get it make it discovered and you know one of your points is you know about like subject matter experts and i don't want to you know it's not about me like i have i had one one of my clients his video went viral two weeks ago like and you know it went viral is not uh you know uh five million views it's three hundred thousand views where you know 
for years, he's been getting two, three, four, ten thousand views per video, depending on a channel, depending on the video. And his thumbnails are not clickbaity. You know, they're just straight up. This is what's going to happen in the video. This is what I'm telling you about, and this is the subject. He did. He had a subject that was really hot. Uh, we didn't know. Well, we sort of suspected it was hot, but you know, it turned out to be hotter than we expected, and it was great. It, it, it worked for him. I don't think that changing a thumbnail would have done anything more than, you know, him having an awesome video, an awesome 10 minute explainer video that sort of talked about the facts and talked about his opinions. And people just were really into the back and forth conversation with that. It's never one thing when it comes to YouTube. It's always, you know, multiple things happening at the same time. And, you know, focusing on the thumbnail is thumbnail is super important. Nothing, nothing against it. I'm just worried about this whole clickbaity type of uh, attitude yeah so i don't think it's going to change anytime soon i think the more sophisticated the tools that we get to do a b testing and stuff like that the more it's going to become prevalent and the more it's going to be weaponized to for people to that have got the resource to do it to you know get as much information as possible and you can't blame them this is a business uh for many many people and so they're going to use all of the tools at their disposal to to maximize you know if, they, if you're going to spend ten thousand dollars you know making a video or more a hundred thousand dollars a million dollars making a video you know you might as well spend an extra couple of hours a b testing or split testing multivariant testing to make sure that it's going to get the best impact possible so i can't blame people uh, also you know they really they really are giving youtube pretty much what they're asking for um so this is probably a debate that will rage on so i'd say love the video derek don't agree with everything still think everyone should watch it would love to hear your opinion on this so you know i know you're a video insider as well i know you've been in the industry for probably 10 years or more um so feel free to come on here talk to us uh, about this and more issues that you've faced mr beast as well of course jimmy offers open to you uh, <laughs> But also, we'd love to hear what you viewers, uh, sorry, you listeners uh, have got to say. So you can tweet us at Video Insiders. You can email us hello at videoinsiders.fm. We'd love to know what you think about all of the topics we've discussed, uh, what you thought of the video, and um, also just let us know what other kind of topics you'd like us to cover in the future. And of course, we can't go without saying a great big thank you to our sponsor, TubeBuddy. And remember, you can get an exclusive discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Bye.